welcome to Get Your Book Done. I'm your host, Christine Closer, a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling author, award-winning publisher, and book writing coach to thousands. I love helping aspiring nonfiction authors write, publish, and promote their best books because there's nothing more powerful than writing a book to transform your life, your readers' lives, your business, and ultimately the world with your message. So let's get started. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so excited we get to talk about how to write no matter what today with none other than the amazing New York Times bestselling 3 million plus copies of books sold around the world. And yes, I am talking about Sark, also known to some as Susan Ariel Rainbow Kennedy, but I know her and have known her for years as Sark. And before I introduce her, I just have to say that way back 2000, we're talking 20 years ago, I was invited to my very first women's circle in Los Angeles. And it was a beautiful friend of mine, Deborah, she lived up in Pacific Palisades, and we walked in. And I looked at the wall and it wasn't hanging in her house all the time. It was like special, special decoration for our, you know, amazing women's circles that she hosted for us. And that was the very first place that I was introduced to Sark through this amazing, powerful, bright, vibrant, playful, colorful poster on the wall. And I was like, what is that? Like I had never seen like a word poster like that before that just spoke such truth, such truth about us succulent wild women. And like that was my very first introduction to Sark. So I sort of, not that I idolized, but I really admired what she had done. Like who does what Sark has done in the world of publishing none other than Sark, right? So, you know, years later when we finally connected and met, and now I think I've interviewed Sark, I don't know how many times, but more than a couple, and it's always such a delight. So Sark, welcome. I want to officially introduce you, but first just want you to say hi real quick and uh, how excited I am that we're here to talk about how to write no matter what. Oh, Christine, thank you so much. And Thank you for being and doing what you teach. And thank you for having uh, guests like me. And thank you for sharing so vibrantly so that people can be inspired and write no matter what. Yeah. And you would know, right? For those of you that are unfamiliar, now Sark is, she's not only an author, but she's also an artist. And she has done eight Teen books. She's writing her next one now called The Surprising Gifts of Terrible Things. Like, what amazing timing considering what her world has been going through these last few months here. As I said earlier, she sold over 3 million copies of her books, which is impressive and amazing the impact that Sark has had. But truly, her purpose is to be a transformer, an uplifter, and a laser beam of love. And she really puts everything that she can into offering that through her art, her words, her spirit, and the way that she mentors other people and bringing their offerings and their gifts to the world. So we're just, we're so blessed to have you here, Sark. And where I want to start is sort of back in the beginning. Um, and that is, you know, how did you first, I mean, you weren't always Sark, as we know, like this, you know, multiple New York Times bestselling author, like taking the world by storm with her amazing creativity and powerful messages. Like there was a time before you were this, you know, famous author. Can you take us back to how you landed in this world of authorship to start with? 
Thank you, Christine. Well, I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota in a wonderful family. And I came home from first grade and said to my mom, show and tell should be me every day. Hmm. And she said, well, honey, the other kids need a chance. And I said, well, they don't. They hate it. They're asking me to do it because I'm finding things every day on the way to and from school and sharing them. Well, like I had this really neat mom and she went to school and met with my teacher and they came up with this amazing plan for me to go to a different grade each day and do show and tell. You have an amazing mom. Yes. I always, yeah. And I always say that that's where I got my speakers training because when you're in first grade and you go to a sixth grade class, you better be really good (laughs) because they're not going to listen. And I can still see their faces because I came in with this giant gooseberry bush on my head. I'd fashioned (laughs) into a crown and I was plucking plucking gooseberries off of it and eating them and saying, this grows in our neighborhood and you can eat these berries. (laughs) And You know, I was busy. I was busy writing and creating all the time. And then it really culminated when I was 10. I also want, you know, it's so tempting when we hear people introduced and it's at their most glowing and they're they're bestsellers and they're so vibrant and, you know, all these words that we've been using. And I want to make sure that people that haven't read the books know that I was being abused in my family. I was being molested by an older brother. And he, in turn, was being molested by a next-door neighbor. And it was so terrible and painful. He had been my best friend. And then seemingly overnight, he became like a monster. And Mm. I began trying to escape from this, of course. And I made best friends with a man in the neighborhood who was 80 years old. And his name was Mr. Boggs. And he called me his twirly friend because I used to do wheelies in his driveway on my bike. (laughs) <laughs> and he wanted to <laughs> he wanted to teach me to look close and look far so he bought me a microscope and a telescope and oh. he also wanted to he tried to teach me to play chess but i was too wiggly and, <laughs> and impatient but he was my best friend and i went over there every day and after some time he got really sick and he he didn't he wasn't there anymore and my mother said listen you need to understand mr boggs is old and he's sick and he's gone to the hospital and he's probably not coming back. And I said, well, then I need to write him something every day so he knows how loved he is. Wow. And so I wrote him something every day for a month and sent it to that hospital. And he got out and he said, I think you saved my life. He said, no one else called or wrote while I was in there. And I had to get out to see you. Mm. And I ran in the house and said to my mom, mom, I'm supposed to be a beacon of hope and write books for the world. And she said, eat your peanut butter sandwich. And, (laughs) but I went on, I had a wonderful grandfather that I called Bapa who built, he had built a tiny house for me and had it delivered to our backyard. And I promptly moved in that summer and wrote my first book. And it was called Mice from Mars. And it was really a thinly disguised abuse story about a mouse that comes to Earth and can't understand what's happened and finally makes its way back to Mars. But I'm always happy to say that the art in it is not very different than the art I do today. That is amazing. And you were 10. I was 10. 
And then it's important to say that I fell into a terrible silence with my writing after that because I was still being abused and there were really tough things. And I was silent until I was 35 years old. Wow. So I want people to hear that there was that those 25 years. Now, I did a lot of wonderful things, but I did a lot of self-destructive things. And I was a practicing procrastinator and perfectionist who, you know, was terrified to put my writing onto paper and share it with the world. Yeah, not a very good combination, right? Not a good combination well, at all for all you <laughs> authors out there. It's like, whoa, procrastination and perfectionism. Woo, talk about a, you know, self-sabotaging kind of party. Not a very good party. Well, yeah, yeah. And it's really common and they often go together and it is a really neat trick. It means that nothing gets done because it's never quite good enough and it's never the right time and you always need more and it's always later and later never comes and it's absolutely exhausting. So all these voices that you're having, right, you just like rattled off a whole bunch of the inner dialogue that was probably going on, you know, for you. And I'm sure many of our listeners can relate to that inner dialogue that keeps them from writing. Like, how do how did you actually move through and how do you suggest our, you know, audience move through those inner critical kind of thoughts that, you know, just keep us stuck and going nowhere fast, you know, because all they, they're all just trying to sabotage us, but we know that right. something worked for you. So lay it on us. Right, right. Well, I'm, I'm so happy to say that I created and teach and mentor, um, well, many processes and systems that work, but the, this one that I want to talk about now, it's, it's called the inner critic one step. I like to think of things like either food or dancing or something fun. <laughs> so I call it the inner critic one step and it's like a five minute thing. And it's brilliant. And I want everyone to learn how to do it right now. So I'm going to, you know, give you an example. It's like, because inner critics will ruin your life and run your writing life in a negative way if you don't help them to redirect. So I'm going to give an example. First of all, you'll notice that inner critics love to use words like always, never, should, and sometimes lots of exclamations. I call these accusations. So here's an example. Inner critic accusation. You'll never get your writing done. And if you were a real writer, nothing would get in your way. So these are the kind of, this is the kind of accusation that runs inside people's heads and stops them. So they feel awful. They, they can, they really run continuously in the background of our minds, kind of like an ambient noise. And so I'm really happy to say that this is how this is how simple and great the inner critic one step is, because you can write a counterstatement that will redirect the inner critic accusation. So I like to advise people to use the word actually to start because it establishes your power and you know your sovereignty. So an mm-hmm. example of a counterstatement would be actually my writing has grown and developed a great deal. And I'm temporarily writing less because I'm healing my body. I'm definitely a real writer because I write. So that was from someone who was experiencing health challenges and feeling like they weren't ever going to get their writing done. So the point is not to argue with the inner critic accusation or justify or defend or overexplain. The object is to assert and establish yourself as the leader of your life in every area. 
amazing how powerful just a word like actually, right? Because it's like, well, no, what you're just saying there is BS. Actually, this is the truth. You know, it's almost like you're putting your stake in the ground and a stake for yourself as the writer that you know you are when you're not letting your inner critic get the better of you. I love this. Exactly. Exactly. And what I recommend that people do is start to keep track of these accusations. Anytime you hear one, write it down you know, make a note section in your phone and write inner critic accusations or do it on paper if that feels better. But the main thing is to capture these because it's amazing how many people are, I mean, I work with writing clients all the time in my mentoring and I'm always amazed because here's the thing, inner critics are getting stronger along with you. So everything you learn, like listening to this interview, your inner critics are listening to also. Mm. So as you get stronger, I always say when we're doing new things, so you you know this, Christine, but anytime you write a new book, it's prime time for inner critics. Yes. They're like, aha, you know, a new book, a new program, whatever it is, the inner critics are there and they have stronger accusations than they had before because they've learned things about you. Now, thankfully, if you've been doing your work and practicing, you are stronger than they are. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm just, I'm flashing back to a moment. I just want to bring this to light. So everyone understands like the magnitude of what you're saying here. Like even when you're really good at what you do, I remember a conversation I had, this woman was already a New York times bestselling author. I don't know how many millions of books that she sold and made a household name for herself. And her new book was coming out and I was, you know, on board to share with my community. And I messaged her the day it was happening and, you know, best of luck. Like it's going to be such an amazing launch and you're going to help so many people. And her, her email back to me was, thank you. You know, I just, I really, I hope it's good and that people like it. Like I'm, I'm a little nervous. I'm like, (laughs) How many millions of books have you sold and Uh you're still nervous? So for those of you who are listening who haven't sold millions of books yet, like when that voice comes up for you, it's like, it's not uncommon, but now you know that you're going to turn around and say, actually. So thank you. Yes. Yes. And if you can, oh, you're so welcome. If you can keep a list of accusations and counter statements. And when you're, when you feel more done with an accusation, cross it out. Mm. And then keep the counterstatements, keep that list, but don't keep it out and visible. Keep the counterstatements out and visible because believe me, these things will return, inner critics will return and say the same things. They're not very imaginative. They're pretty repetitive and frankly, they're tired. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, remember inner critics aren't bad. They're, they're just trying to protect us. They've grown out of proportion to who we are now and they need our care and redirection I always tell people, if you leave inner critics unsupervised, it's like leaving toddlers in a kitchen with knives. Oh, that's a pretty strong visual right there. Get people (laughs) stopping in their tracks. Whoa, wait a second. It's like that? Yeah, it's like that. Well, I want to ask you a little bit about your own personal writing process. And I want you to share a little bit about your new book you've got coming up and you know other things in between. But first, can you just share like, what's your writing process like? Cause you, I mean, you are, you know, you're just, you're so creative and you're prolific, <laughs> right? Like you've written 18 books, <laughs> bestsellers, many of them, you know? So just, Pull back the curtain and tell us a little bit about your own writing process. 
you know, how do you get started? How do you make sure that you finish? Because we've got some people out there listening. I know you've started, but you haven't finished. So I just love your input advice, uh, wisdom nuggets on the actual process of writing for you. Of course. Well, you know, I wrote a book called Juicy Pens, Thirsty Paper, gifting the world with your words and stories and creating the time and energy to actually do it. <laughs> and in that book, there's, there's a chapter I wrote, and this is dedicated to everyone who wants to know, well, how is someone prolific or how can I write more or how can I write no matter what? And I'll just read a little bit from this. It says, my writing process is rather unusual. I wake up to the sounds of birds chirping and sunlight floods in as I pick up my pen and begin to create. Because I'm so gifted and magical, the words just flow out like rare honey. There is no delay or frustration or anything that's difficult at all. Wait, see the next page for the real story. Now, Christine, I have to tell you, I can't tell you how many times I've done events and shared something like that or even that exact thing. And people are listening, going, I knew it. I knew she's just that type. Like her words just flow out like rare honey. She's so creative and gifted. <laughs> With birds chirping in the background, so rainbows and fairies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. So the next page says, my brain contains many things, habits old conditioning, memories, and stories. Sometimes my writing process looks more like this. And then I drew inside this writer's brain. And then there's things inside my brain. Don't I need new sponges? <laughs> February was chosen. February 1st was a chosen day to begin this book. I did everything humanly possible to avoid beginning. Then my neighbor's dog started barking and wouldn't stop, which naturally caused me to begin compulsively answering emails. <laughs> until the system crashed and isn't there something else I can clean or who or what can I blame for not writing yet? I wonder what's on TV. I wonder if the mail came yet. Wait, what's that knocking sound? Oh, good. The phone is ringing now. And then I'll just finish with this. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what? Sometimes truth is better than fiction. <laughs> yeah. On this particular day, I was searching for ways to inspire myself, and I thought I would check my guest book at planetsark.com. Certainly, there would be something encouraging or inspiring there. This is what I found from Jenny. Sark, I think you are a fake. I've sold all your books back to the half-price store. Oh, my word. <laughs> there, was <a> time <laughs> there was a time when that type of comment would have affected me more. Now I laughed and felt grateful for her honesty and that she took the time to take them to a bookstore where others could find and enjoy them. And of course, I know most of all how to, to write when everything is awful or feels broken. Mm. Yeah. So that's where the, the title of my new book is actually uh, Living Mostly Wonderful, The Surprising Gifts of Terrible Things. Mm. Oh, so I was, I had the subtitle as the title in, in mm -hmm. my thinking here. But tried, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's tried to be the title. It's interesting, you know, it, 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 the subtitle asserts itself like that. I don't quite know how, but yeah, there's a lot of mysteries in life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Living mostly wonderful, the surprising gifts of terrible 
things. Can you tell us just a little bit about like what inspired that next book? And I know that you were working on this before, you know, our globe and all of humanity was impacted by the pandemic that we all experienced. I mean, some of you listening, you know, later in years, but this is, you know, live June, 2020, but this, this book was in the works long before this situation that we face, you know, in, in 2020 with the pandemic. So I'm just curious, like what inspired this book for you? Well, I've been living and writing this book since, since 2016, when my beloved fiance, John died in my arms after I'd taken care of him for nine months and tried to help save him. And it wasn't until we realized he didn't need saving. He had graduated. He didn't need a body anymore. And I never thought of such a thing. I just thought you always save people. They always want to stay. And of course he wanted to stay. I mean, it was the saddest thing in the world. So that really started me on a path of deeply grieving and wildly living both. I think they go together like bird wings. I had to learn to create a new life. Mm. I mean, it did my best friend, my writing partner. We published a book together called Succulent Wild Love. So I began a whole process of inner alchemy, which involved my learning how to alchemize and blend terrible and wonderful things together and turn them into a brand new healing mixture. So I began teaching that more and I began writing more. And so this is the longest period of time I've ever written a book. I usually write books once a year, but this has been four years now. And I'm so happy that I don't feel rushed and I don't, I'm not, uh, I'm writing it as I live. And there's, it's, it's amazing how much there is to alchemize. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm really glad to be able to share not only that process, but my actual experiences so that other people can do that too. Oh, so beautiful. And, you know, and I'm sure you're experiencing this as a transformational author. I think that's how we first met when I interviewed you for my transformational author experience. But it was like, there's a way that the very process of writing the book itself can bring about such profound transformation in one's life, in one's business, in one's way of looking at the world and being in the world and operating in the world and showing up in the world. Like it's about so much more than just writing a book. It really is about yes. the journey. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're experiencing with the, like, you're not cranking it out in a weekend, right? Like really good books take time <laughs> because they do transform you with every word you write. And it's just beautiful. Well, to- yeah. And it- yeah, but let's, let's also say some books do pop out quickly. My first book I wrote in two weeks, but I had been building all that up since I was 10 years old. Yeah. So there was so much to be said and it all just plopped out. And then the other books were driven. I was driven to write them. This one is more like slow cooking. And- mm-hmm. You know, and it also involves a huge, not only with a huge life change of the loss of my fiance, but the advent of brand new love that arrived, uh, a fully formed, totally qualified soulmate arrived in my life almost two years ago now, um, named David. And he was told there was a female version of him and her name was Sark. And he should call my inspiration phone line and hear my message. And he had already been calling it 
for some years, but you know, I had thousands of people call there and I can't, I, I listen to the messages, but I can't answer everyone. And he left me a message May 21st of 2018 and said, I just love how you live. He said, you, you're loving. Oh, because he'd received an email I wrote called I'm dating the world hmm. because I decided to stop looking for the one and make the world into my lover. And so I'd written this kind of impassioned statement of dating the world. And he said, this is how I live too. He said, I just love you. And then he said, I love you. 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 Is this too much? I love you. I love you. I love you. And I thought this guy is either my soulmate or he's crazy. One or the other, right? Yeah. And I called him back and we talked for two or three hours. We started laughing immediately. It was, it was very clear. We spent the next three months talking every single day. And I flew out to where he, he lived on the East Coast in Massachusetts. I flew out for what we called our first honeymoon. We decided to skip the, skip the marriage and go straight to the honeymoon. And I met him and uh, stayed there at his lake home for two weeks. And we knew that we would join our lives. And he moved in a year and a half ago here with me in San Francisco. And wow, I mean, what a fantastic, incredible, unbelievable experience. What a <laughs> so surprising gift, right? What a surprising a gift of a terrible thing. thing. Yeah. Yes. And John had told me, John had told me, he said, you're going to meet someone even better for you than me. And I said, do you have to say better? Can it just be different? And he said, no, if I stayed, I would be better. He said, but I'm leaving my body. So you need someone with a body and that person will be better. Oh my gosh. And I, I did not believe it. I thought it was just, I thought he was just deranged. I mean, I was like, here I am, you know, I call it, I like to refer to age as levels. So here I am mid-level six thinking, you know, that's about as likely, what is it they say, you know, it's like a unicorn. And I thought, you know, I did it once. There's no way I could ever do it twice. Mm. <laughs> so, I'm so happy to say that it happened twice. And I'm so happy that I can share what I'm learning about love now. And what I learned about love then, I mean, John got me completely ready for David. I wouldn't have been able to handle David or this amount of love without John. Incredible. And I know some of you who have been listening for a while now may have heard um, Dr. Angela Merrick's episode earlier on this podcast. She had a very similar experience, lost her husband, her beloved husband, you know, father of their two young sons to a terrible form of aggressive cancer and was married to her next level soulmate within a year. So if you're curious about like just hearing more about that, you might listen to Angie's episode as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you'd love her. She's She's a powerhouse. Thankfully, she's a local friend here in York, Pennsylvania. And I get to like see her. Well, I haven't seen her in person through the whole social distancing thing, but we still, you know, on Zoom instead. But some of you might want to go back and listen to that episode if you just want to, you know, hear a little bit more of stories like that. So as we move into wrap up, I have a couple of quick things. Sark has some resources that she wants to share with you that you can find. 
of course, on the show notes page. So be sure to go show notes for all sorts of links to, you know, book and website and a free resource that she's got for you, um, which is a creative companion on how to free your creative spirit. So you'll want to go ahead and head over to the show notes to find out about that. And I do have one more question for you here as we close out, but some of you I know had commented into my team about when I'm going to be holding my next workshop. Uh, on the Transformation Quadrant as we talk about writing transformational books here. And it is coming up, actually, if you're listening to this, the day that we aired on June 22nd, that workshop is coming up this Wednesday, June 24th, on how to blueprint your book in 15 minutes or less using the Transformation Quadrant. And you can just register at christinecloser.com forward slash workshop. So it's a live interactive, like I'm deep dive working with you. It's very limited number of people that can be there so that we actually can interact with you directly and personally. So again, it's christinecloser.com forward slash workshop to sign up to join me live on Wednesday, June 24th. And so what Sark would you say is the most important thing that you really want to make sure that our amazing, you know, group of listeners here walk away with from our conversation today. Like what's, cause you've, you've dropped so many amazing nuggets of wisdom from actually, you know, onto your beautiful, you know, your writing process, like so much of it, but what, what's the most important thing you want them to, to take away in their hearts and souls and help them continue to write no matter what? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, Christine, I just want to say what a fabulous opportunity for everyone to be with you in that deep dive. I mean, that workshop, it just sounds so great. Thank you. It is. It's pretty awesome. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then I, I think I want to say, we didn't talk specifically about this, but I want to say that in my entire life, the biggest mentor that I have is what I call my inner wise self. and Everyone has one and everyone refers to it and thinks of it, you know, different names, pure positive energy, higher self, Holy Spirit, intuition, you know, whatever the name is, it's the unconditionally loving part of yourself. And that's really the part that that's the part of me that's written all my books. I basically take dictation. It comes through me. So I just want people to know that they have that part. And they can access that part and activate it to be really in action in their writing on their behalf. That's what I like to tell people so that you can be written instead of writing. So in other words, more than trying to write, you're letting yourself be written as spirit flows through you. So beautifully said. And so magical when people clear enough of those inner critics out by using that language, like actually to allow that flow to happen. So uh, inner wise self of Sark, thank you for landing her on the planet (laughs) at this time and in this conversation. And uh, of course, to all of you listening, thank you as always so much for being here, for being the type of person who is on this journey to birth your next evolution of yourself through your book onto the page into the world to have an impact and to really transform and heal and uplift lives through your words, your message, your book. Like that's, that's why we're here. That's why we're walking this journey. So I'm deeply grateful 
that you are here and that you hang out in this amazing podcast community. So again, be sure to head over to the show notes for the show. You can connect with Sark there, you'll see her uh, her website address, her Facebook, her Instagram, her free amazing resources, Creative Companion to help you like let those words just flow out of you and be written instead of doing the writing. That resource will certainly help. So please go take a look at the show notes. And thank you again, Sark. And I look forward to being with you all on our next episode. Until then, happy writing, everyone. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Get Your Book Done. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about today. And if you want my help with your book, head over to christinecloser.com to learn more and get a free copy of my book, The Transformation Quadrant, which will show you how to blueprint your book in 15 minutes or less. The Get Your Book Done podcast is where the leading conversation is happening for transformational authors everywhere. And I'm grateful you tuned in.